Okay, we've been doing 1st John, 2nd John, 3rd John, and we're finishing up in a little book of Jude tonight. <clears throat> uh, uh, something we started last week, book of Jude. And I had a strange feeling when we finished. Anybody have a strange feeling when we were finished? <laughs> I had a strange feeling that, wow, I hope that's not all, because he just gave us a good boxing in the nose, and he gave it to us straight, and he said, there, what do you think of that? And I said, whoa, and is that it? Are we getting, no, that's not it. So, so uh, we'll finish, and we'll, <laughs> we'll wind it up good. But Jude, we said, was half-brother to Jesus and full-brother to James, and so, of course, Jesus contribution is through the whole Bible. <clears throat> Jesus was the first one ever quoted saying let there be light. It says that, that Jesus created the world as it was and so Jesus said let there be light and his quotes go up then we come to the Gospels and it's full of Jesus. James, his half-brother, wrote a book and became the leader of the church, the early church in Jerusalem, which was a tough job. And Jude is also a half-brother. Here he tells us that he was a half-brother to Jesus, but he calls Jesus uh, his master. He doesn't say, Jesus is my brother. He doesn't. He says, Jesus is my master. He's got it right. He understands it. So it's a pretty powerful family that Mary and Joseph raised. Uh, the problem, it was written to whoever would listen. <laughs> Sometimes that's the way, best way to preach and talk. Whoever, anybody listen? Somewhere, some people are listening. I can say that more uh, now than ever before. People listen in Australia to us. And Norway, for some reason, people are listening <laughs> to us. And uh, we're glad for that. Uh, uh, so anybody that'll listen, that's what Jude wrote to, and that's good. Uh, that's a good way to write. And he said, I want you to be careful. There are some people who snuck in. There's some sneaky people. They have snuck into the church, and they've got inside. And he said they were dangerous people. Uh, they were troublemakers, and they had certain attitudes, he said, that you had to watch out for. They had no reverence for God. Reverence for God, none. Right? Zero. Um, and they did not consider Jesus as their master. They did not consider Jesus as their master. They consider themselves as their own master. And he said they used love as an excuse for lust. And they said, well, God's full of grace and he's easy going. And so we'll change love in the church over to lust. So he's warning against these people. And he says something that's pretty amazing to me. He says, these people from the beginning of time were marked for condemnation. There's a certain way that people behave, and these people, he says, always were marked for condemnation. And then he set up uh, 
examples of it. Uh, he talked about how Israel uh, came out of Egypt and they all came out together. So you think they're all one group. And he said, but it's not true. There are people in the group. And he gave us the example of a fella named Korah. And Korah was one who tried to lead a rebellion against Moses. And you remember the, how it went. Uh, and the two ringleaders with him were with their families in a tent. They refused to be called out of their tent by Moses, actually by God. God says, get him up to the tabernacle gate, and I want to see him there. And they stayed in their tents and said, we're not coming. So God said, you better get away from them. Back off. And everybody backed off and the ground swallowed three families whole. And they died right there instantaneously. And then there was 250 minus the three that went in. So it's 247 standing at the gate of the tabernacle. And God sends a fire out of the tabernacle and burns up 247 of them. Uh, serious judgment. Serious judgment. And what is the point that he's making is that God will judge. God will judge these kind of people. Alright? And then you recall that some of the people in the camp were kind of mad. We don't want to see people swallowed up. What does God think he's doing? And so God sent a plague. Or Aaron could grab a center and light it, run out, 14,700 people died. So that was a tough day in Israel. So it was almost 15,000 people died who were not part of the group. They came out of Egypt. They said, you're all one group. They came out of Egypt. They were all eating manna and drinking water out of the rock. But they really weren't. And so God stepped in and judged them. He mentioned a couple of other cases. He talked about the angels who were enchained in darkness for their rebellion. It's really rebellion that he's talking about. What happened to them? Two cities burned absolutely to a crisp for their rebellion. And so he's talking more and more about how God will judge. God judged Sodom and Gomorrah. God judged the angels. God judged Korah and the children of Israel and the Egypt. And then he gives a list. He adds uh, people to it. He talks about Cain and he talks about Balaam and he talks about Korah here as the type of people that are sneaking into the church. Cain was a person who was very self-centered. All right? He was self-focused, self-centered. And you remember God said, where's your brother? He remember his answer. So I'm not my brother's keeper. I take care of myself. I'm not my brother's keeper. And so Cain was an example of being very self-centered. Balaam was an example of uh, in it for money. He was in it for money. He was asked 
uh, the Moabites to curse the Israelites who were passing by. And they said, well, I don't know if I'm going to do that. So they brought him a big hunk of money and said, here, oh, now, well, maybe. <laughs> and so he was in it for the money. And the last one, Korah, uh, wanted to be uh, in charge. He challenged, he was a gainsayer. The whole word, the Bible, was he challenged Moses. And because of that, of course, he wanted to be the man in charge. And then he, of course, was swallowed up in the sand. So we have these, all these examples of rebellion against God and the judgment that came on them. And he said, some of these are God's people, all right? Cain was the third man in the world, all right? And his father was Adam and Eve. Korah was part of the uh, Israelites that came out of Egypt. And Balaam was considered a prophet of God, but he sure didn't act like it. And so what he's saying to us is these people come into the church and they got a desire to disrupt things and they're trying to uh, get in to your church and you need to pay attention to that. So we stopped right there and we said, wow, God means business. God means business. He's not somebody to be trifled with. He means business. And he says, these people now that are coming into the church come in with these attitudes. No respect for God at all. No respect for God. And they've joined themselves to your churches. And so that's the warning that he's given about these people. All right? And so... Let's start at verse 11 is where we left off in Jude, verse 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, that is, they're self-centered, ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward, if they can get something out of being in church for themselves, particularly in the way of money, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. That is, they uh, rebel against leadership. Verse 12, these are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Now what he's talking about, if you look over in 1 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter number 11, that's a famous chapter because in 1 Corinthians 11 is where uh, Paul tells us about communion and how he thinks we should take communion. But what leads him up to it is in verse 17. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. On this I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not better, but for the worse. So here they are getting together in church in Corinth, and he says, it's, it's not helping you, it's actually harming you. When you get together this way in church, it's harming you. Is it possible that we could run a service that would harm people? Well, we're about to see how that's possible. Here. All right. Um, First of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. There's arguing and divisions, and there must, for there must be also heresies among you, and they which are approved may be made manifest among you. 
Right, so there's wrong teaching. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper. One is hungry, another is drunk. <laughs> so what they were doing was, it's, we're going to have communion, but we're going to get together for a meal. They get together for a meal, and some guy bring a whole big basket full of food and sit down and gobble it all down himself. Say, ah, that was good. And over there, somebody that couldn't bring any food because they haven't got any money. They got to just barely live by, and they're hungry. And you say they call it. You guys call it a love feast. Well, there wasn't any love being shown. It's not the way it works. All right. And he says, and some of you we get drunk. Gobbling everything up in sight. 22. What have ye not houses eaten, drinking, or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say unto you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. And so, what was happening is what the early church says we, these are our love feasts. We have a love feast and we get together for love's sake and we eat. They sure didn't behave like they were loving each other. They were pretty miserable about the way they behaved. And he says, this is what I'm talking about in Jude. These people come into the church and they're very self-centered. They want what they can get. So they come to your feast. And that's what he's saying in verse 12 back in Jude. These are spots in your feast of charity or love feast. When they feast you, feeding themselves without fear. They come in can get for themselves and shove their mouth full he says and they are very self-centered in it for what they can get out of it and those are the type of people he's warning them against now he's going to give you a whole bunch of uh, ways to describe their behavior uh, he says first of all <laughs> they are clouds he says up by the roots. So he's going to use a series of things to describe them. He says, they're like a cloud. Alright? When you look at a cloud, what do you expect? Well, it's full of rain. God bless the earth with rain. He says, but they got no rain. And he says, matter of fact, they're blown about. Or he said, we could call them a tree with no fruit. And they're dead no roots. They're twice dead. They're dead that they couldn't produce any fruit. And then they're dead because they got no roots. And what's he mean by those things? Well, to be blown about and have no root has to do with uh, truth. Who gets blown about? People who don't know what truth is. People don't comprehend the truth that's in the Bible. They don't understand it. Don't understand the truth about Jesus. And so somebody comes up, oh, here's what I think. Ah, that's good. We'll go with you today. All right? They're blown about. Paul says people are blown about by every wind of doctrine. Whatever comes along, yeah, that's it. That must be true. And they don't know the basic truth because they have no root in themselves. They haven't put down into the good earth to get what they need. They have no root. And so 
They don't bear fruit. They don't bear rain. You get no blessing from these people because when it comes to truth, they're just tossed about. They're not based what they believe or how they live on truth. Verse 13, raging waves of the sea foaming out their own shame. He says they're like a wave and it comes up in big fury and it foams out nothing. All amounts to nothing. And the wave is gone. There's no future. No future in what they do. Right? It's like a wave. Big wave comes in. You say, wow, look at that. Here it comes. Where'd it go? Only lasts for a minute and then it's gone. All right? That's what he's saying about these people. And he's on wandering stars or a falling star to whom is reserved blackness of darkness forever. Or they're like a falling star. Falling star. What happens to it? Burns out. Where is it? Gone in the darkness. No future. No future. So they have no basis of truth to hold them so that they're like a tree growing. And roots are dead. And they're like a, a cloud with no water. Blown around. Doesn't amount. Never blesses anybody. And they have no future like a wave or like a falling star. They disappear and are gone. They have no future. That's a pretty serious warning about these people. All right? He says, they're in the church. Watch it. Be careful. You need to pay attention to these people. And don't let them uh, pull one over on you. Uh, they're there, and you need to pay attention to them. All right, now we go to the next one, verse 14. Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against God. All right? Get that? (laughs) Ungodly. 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 Their behavior is ungodly. Uh, Their way of thinking is ungodly. That is, they never include God in their thought processes. What are you going to do in life? I don't know. I've got to think about what I want to do. You think about what God wants? Ungodly. I don't think of that. What do you do in life? Well... I don't know, I, I got my own plans. And that's always been a thing that's always bothered me. Uh, people got their own plans. I had a guy that I knew, he was a great guy, and he helped us around here. And I talked to him. He had cancer. And I was talking to him. I said, you know, uh, you could come along with us. We'd be happy to have you. I got my own idea. Don't talk to me. He said, I got my own idea. Now, I don't know what they were. He wouldn't tell me. But it apparently wasn't what we were thinking. All right? <laughs> he had his own ideas about how things are. And the people make up things because that's 
God has what? Well, God has judgment. You can't do whatever you want and then say, it's all right, I decided that on my own. No, God has judgment and God will decide. And you say, well, somebody said this prophecy of Enoch comes from the book of Enoch. Remember they had a movie a while ago about Enoch? I hope you forgot it because it wasn't worth even looking at. They say, oh, we're going to do the Bible story. The people don't do the Bible. Well, it's not their plan at all. But there's a book that was written that was called Enoch, Book of Enoch. And he's talking about the seventh from Adam. If you go go to Adam and Abel and and then uh, so on down the list, you come seven generations, you run into this Enoch. He says, walked with God and was not. Or that is, Enoch was a very godly man, and God says, doing so well, I'm going to take you straight to heaven. And one day, after 350 years or so, Enoch disappeared off the earth. And they said, where did he go? Oh, God took him up. That was God's intention for everybody. We were all to live on earth and grow and develop and then go straight to heaven. That was God's intention. Nobody would ever die. Of course, when we sinned and rebelled against God, uh, then that didn't happen. And we had to die because of sin. But there were two people in the history of the world. One was Enoch. The other was Elijah. Both went straight up to heaven without dying. And we do believe that they're coming back in the end of time as the two witnesses. And then they will die. Uh, that book of Revelation says... There's two witnesses who come back to the Holy Land and they preach throughout the area and they uh, do a wonderful job and then they kill them and they leave them dead in the streets and they're all rejoicing. Hey, we got uh, Sound familiar? Three days later? All right, these are God's people. And Enoch is here as a prophecy that we never read about in Genesis, but he t- coming with ten thousands of his angels and people say well that's not really in the bible like i told you some commentators are always looking for a way to get away from what he says (laughs) and here it's right in matthew uh, chapter 25 Matthew 25 is the prophecy that Jesus gives just before he dies about the end of the world. He's explaining how things are going to go at the end of the world. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse number 31, you're going to get the same story that we just read in Jude from the Enoch. Verse 31, Matthew 25. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations. He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. He shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. And so there's the Son of Man coming to judge the world. He's coming as judge when he comes the next time. And uh, he's going to set things straight. He's going to fix what's wrong. And so here he says, you know, if you think that God won't judge people, he's coming. 
<laughs> he's coming. When he comes, uh, ungodly people are going to be on the spot. We, we, never, we didn't believe in God. We didn't include him in our plan. We didn't include him in our thinking. We didn't include, include God in the goals for our life. We're ungodly and there sits Jesus on the throne. It's not a time you want to be ungodly. I'll tell you. You don't want to say, no God for me, when Jesus comes through them clouds. Ugh. Watch out, watch out, he's saying. Get ready, because Jesus is going to come, and he's going to make sure that everything is done the way it should be. All right, so that's the warning that he gives us. God will judge. He's judged in the past. He judged angels before this world, as we know it was created, judged Sodom and Gomorrah. ungodly lives and he says you got these people who don't cling to truth they have no future and what's going to happen to them they're going to be judged and he says you got to watch out because they're in among you they come into the church and find a spot there and settle in and so he says that's a warning and the reason he's right in the 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 speech that he's given. Verse 16. These are murmurers complaining. He's going to give us a list now of all the ways that you can identify these people. And we'll get a look at characteristics that we look for to help identify who these people are. He says, first of all, they complain. They complain. Complaining. I've talked about complaining here before, and uh, if you if your speech is fifty percent complaining, how are you doing? There's some people whose speech is a hundred percent complaining. They never talk to you without complaining. They always complain about something, anything. You say, well, there's a lot to complain about. No, there's a lot to be thankful for. And if you're going to complain and complain and complain, that's one of the things on the list that these people do. He says they're murmurers, complainers. And he says they're walking after their own lust. Or that is, they live according to their own rule. They got their own rules. They live according to their own rules. The way we do it. And that's how we're going to live. Number three. And their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's person and admiration because of advantage. That is, they will talk big, talk big, try to be somebody special, especially if there's someone to impress. They can impress someone. They will talk very big, shoot their mouths off, hoping to impress somebody that they think is important. Let's see what else is. Um, <clears throat> verse 17. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there were some should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be who separate themselves, sensual, and not having the spirit. All right, so 
They separate themselves. They create division. These people will create division. They're not trying to do the opposite of that, bring people together. They're always trying to pull people apart. And he says they're sensual, not having the spirit. And there's a very important role. They're not under the spirit's control. That's what these people are like. As you've been warned by the apostles too, we're looking for what kind of people? Complainers, go by their own rules, talk big, don't respect God, don't consider Jesus their master, and they certainly will create division wherever they can, and they are not under the control of the Holy Spirit. So that's the people he's warning us about. So, now you're warned. What I want to know is what should we do? (laughs) All right, we've been warned. It's good to be warned, all right? But that's not the theme, really, in the book of Jude. He is warning us and telling us these things you need to watch out for and be careful for. But he's going to go on beyond that now. And he's going to say, all right, you've been warned, but now I want to tell you what you should do about how do you live in your church and in your own personal life, how do you live to combat this kind of thing? What do you do? What's your behavior? Verse 20. But you, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith. All right, so he said, number one, you've got to build on the foundation. You've got to build on a foundation. And the foundation, what is it? Where other foundations can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's the foundation. And so we're here to say, here's Jesus. And so we're going to build on that foundation. That means you're going to learn more about him. And we're going to tell you some more about him. And we're going to tell you something else about him. And we're going to explain how he died. And we're going to explain how he rose again. We're going to explain. We're going to explain. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life explaining about Jesus. Because he's the one that we need. All right. Now we're going to use our Bible to do that. All right, that's where we're going to get our information, but we're going to build on that foundation. All right, so he said, that's what you got to first of all start out. You learn about Jesus more and more, and as you learn, he'll tell you certain things that he considers very important. And one of the things that Jesus thinks is extremely important is we got to tell this message to whoever will listen. And that's on the top of his list. So I died, what? So people can hear. So part of the things we need to learn about Jesus, we're building on that foundation, and then we've got to do everything we can to spread the news as far as we can. And when I first was here, I thought, well, the only people ever going to hear me are people right here. And that was true for a long time. And all of a sudden, this thing called the Internet came along. And I'm not a computer person at all, right? I turn it on and I always do something wrong and everything goes. My wife hands me a phone I can't even answer. I said, you answer it. I can't answer it. Uh, but but uh, wow, what a difference. All right, as we can spread now the word out. I had a lady come in here the other day and uh, she came 
to talk about uh, uh, Maxine. Uh, he was related to Maxine. She walks in and said, hi, Pastor Olson, how you doing? I said, I'm good. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure who you are. She says, I see you every week. Who knew? Somebody down there is watching every week. And that's a part of our goal. Remember what Jesus says. Here's what you pray. Right? Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. That's what you're supposed to be praying for. Supposed to be praying for thy kingdom come. So he says you're supposed to build on a foundation. So what do you want to live in? A tent? You want to live in a camper? <laughs> you want to live in a house trailer? Nothing wrong with that. But you, you want to live in a house. And you want to build a little house? You want to build a big house? You're going to build on a foundation. And this is a fantastic way to describe uh, the way Christian life is meant to be. You're supposed to build like you're building. You're going to build a building. All right? Your own life, the church is going to be a building. It's called the building together as God builds a building. So what do you want? Live in a tent so the wind blows and blows over? I've done that. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't ever want to do that again. All right? I don't want to live in a tent. I want to live in a solid structure. So it's going to be a big house, a little house. How about this? Why don't we build a fortress? Huh? A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our shelter, he amid the floods of mortal ills, prevailing. But still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Does ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he, Lord Sabaoth, his name. From age to age the same, and he must win the battle. That was old Martin Luther. He said, here, so we want to build a fortress. We want to build a structure so we're bringing in light. So when you build, you put in great big windows. And you let the light pour in. So people comprehend and understand the more light they have. That's the kind of fortress you want to build with big windows. You want to build doors in your fortress. And the Bible says there's a great effectual door be open. And we've had those here. The old lady lived next door. She said, I want you to have my house. And so we bought our house from her. And uh, what a fort, what an effectual door that was. Over there, children are now who learned over there are now. Right? And now there's a whole bunch of them over there now learning. I sat over there with a couple of kids before I came over here tonight, and they were saying, watch, watch me look up a verse. Go ahead, do it. So they said, you tell us which one. I gave them a verse. They looked it up. I love it. It's a great effectual door. God gave us a great ability to use that particular house, and we use it for children. All right, That's a door in the building. All right, The little village is a door in the building. So we're building a good, solid, big fortress based on the truth about Jesus Christ and what he is. And so he says, here's what you do. You're going to build yourself up. Build. 
built. Amen. Building. You're always going to build, build that fortress for God. Let your life be that. So, so you can never say, I'm good. I'm all set. Maybe you're still living in a little house. Come on, build it into a fortress. Build it up. Right? Get more foundation, lay it down, and then build it bigger. That's, there's a constant growth in the Christian experience that we have to be into. Uh, and then your big house becomes what? A shelter in a time of storm. We can go, we have a place. There's a shelter in a time of storm. So he says, that's one thing you can do. You're worried about your church and these kind of people coming in. You get the truth and lay it down and lay it down again and again and spread it out until your head is full of Jesus. Get your head full of Jesus. Know everything he did, everything he said, and learn it again and learn it again. And I've been teaching these passages for... 40 years? No, longer than that. And I still open the Bible and I'm amazed. See, I never thought of that before. Every week I find something I never thought of before. And so you can keep building and keep building and keep building. That's one of the things we need to do. Here's the next one. Verse 20. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. We talked about praying in the Holy Ghost. We're going to learn to pray in the Spirit, in the Spirit, in the Holy Ghost. We need to learn how to pray in the Holy Ghost. And that's not just saying a little prayer. That is not praying in the Holy Ghost. Um, It's much more intense type of prayer. Uh, and it is not just an emotional expression. There are a lot of people who will tell you, pray in the Holy Ghost, what do you got to do? Speak in tongues. As soon as you're speaking in tongues, then you're praying in the Holy Ghost. Don't ever buy that. That's certainly not the case. I want you to look at Ephesians. I had the kids look this verse up. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6. Because there is a prayer. Ephesians chapter 6. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians chapter 6. And we're looking at verse number 18. Here's the way he says we're going to put truth on. He says, put yourself in the armor of God. Verse 18. Ephesians 6, 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. He says that's the way you pray in the Spirit. It is the Spirit of supplication. We need this today. Thanks. See you later. Not supplication. Spirit of supplication. So when we go to God and we say, look, we need this. we got to have it. We're asking for it. We're pleading for it. We want it. We're praying to God. The choir sings a song. Uh, old Satan came. 
and told me that God would not hear my prayers. And the chorus is, but I would not be denied. I would not be denied. Till Jesus came and set me free, I would not be denied. That's the spirit of supplication. We come to God and we pray with all of our hearts and we ask for things. You'll need that in your living and in your way you live. You've got to be real serious and come to God and ask Him for things in a spirit of supplication, spirit of prayer. It's not an emotional outburst. And when you watch the poor folk who have been told, you come up and you'll get the Holy Spirit. And so stay here and, and uh, just praying get yourself worked up enough and you'll be speaking in tongues before you know it. And I watched some of those poor people. Uh, years ago, I was in a meeting with fellows. I was a teenager. I was they took me to this meeting and I watched... In the middle of the room, there was a big, tall, handsome lady. And when the time came, she stood up, started speaking in tongues, just blah, blah, right out of me. And in front of me was a little, tiny old lady. And she looked over, and she watched her, and then she tried it. <laughs> Didn't work. She and then she said, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I don't know. I to get emotionally high enough. So they could speak in that tongue. Well, I walked out. And the adults that took me came looking for me. They said, what's the matter? And I said, it don't cut it. You got one standing in the middle, and they're all watching and trying to do it. They're trying to work themselves into an emotional frenzy, somehow thinking that that will cross the bar, and they'll suddenly get the, the anointing of the Spirit. It's not what this is about. This is what coming to God and saying, here I am, and I'm going to ask, and I'm not going to take no for an answer. I will not be denied. A group a long time ago, another church, and we decided we would pray for our church. There was five guys, and we got together every Tuesday night, and we prayed in that church. And we prayed that God would come and open the door, and we prayed that God would let the Spirit in the services, and He would break through and bring His power into that church. And we prayed, and we prayed, and we supplicated, and we prayed, and week after week we prayed. And then somebody stood up in church and said, there's some guys that are praying on Tuesday night. Don't they know we only pray on Wednesday night? Well, God wasn't happy with that. And so within about a month or two, uh, God moved all five guys out. And one guy went to take over a church in the southern Another guy went to take over a church in Pennsylvania. I came here, and one of the guys came with me. That was four of us, three new churches, and then the fourth, or the fifth guy was moved by his job to Georgia, and all five of us were gone within a space of about three weeks. And I had to go back there, and I walked in one Tuesday night to get something or other, and I came in there, and it was dead. 
I remember what Jesus said. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And the kingdom is taken from you and given to those who bear the fruit. The supplication and the praying is what brought this about. Those five guys are praying into existence the work of God. And if you want to have it there, we'll take it somewhere else. And so that's what he's talking about. He's talking about praying in the spirit or with a voice of for what we need. And I want to tell you, most churches fail at that. And so does ours. And so does ours. The smallest meeting we have is prayer meeting. We fail at the spirit of supplication. What happened to us? Well, God is so He's so merciful to us. Matthew 18. God knew how weak his people would be. He knew how we would fail at some of these things. And Jude says you need the spirit of supplication. You need to pray. And most churches don't pray. They don't have the spirit of supplication even when they do sometimes. Verse 19, Matthew 18, verse 19. Again I say unto you that two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask. It shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. And where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. See, that's why people say, well, why do you have a prayer meeting? Only two, three people come. It says right there, that's all I need. It says right there that prayers are answered by two or three people. So we will never, never quit. We will never quit. Because he says, you need to have praying in the Spirit. The supplication of God needs to come. And we need to do it. And so Jude is warning us. He says, it's one of the things that you've got to take care of. And he says, unfortunately for us, God has been merciful. And God said, where two or three will gather, I'm not listening. And I've known it so often. Two or three gather, and the Spirit of the Lord is very present. Because he wants us to supplicate. All right? It's an important part. All right, let's see what else he's got for us. Verse 21. Keep yourselves in Alright, keep yourselves in the love of God. How do you do that? Keep in God's love. How do you do that? How do you keep in God? You think Jesus did that? You bet your life he did. How did he do it? Here's how he did it. How did Jesus keep himself in the love of God? His answer was, I always do the things that please him. There it is. Simple. How do you keep your family? How do you keep your husband and your wife in the feeling of love? I always do the things that please. How do you love your family? I always do the things that please. How do you love God? I always do things that please him. 
That's how you keep yourself in the love of God. You do the things that please Him. Jesus taught us that lesson, and that works well, and it'll help a lot. Looking for mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. All right, that is, we're waiting. Looking for mercy, we're waiting for what happens in the future. Christians have to be very tied to what's happening in the future. All right? We don't have to worry about it. God's got the future. We don't have to worry about it. But we can focus on it. So what does that do for us? When we're waiting for the future, it creates hope. Right? Hope. Faith. Building on the foundation of truth. And love. Remember here in all these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. We have a feeling of great hope in the future. And that's why when we have a a memorial service here, we don't drag around and say, oh, they're gone, they're gone, I'm miserable. No, we don't. Because we have hope for them and hope for us in the future. And that's how he wants you to live. As you look ahead for the mercy that Jesus Christ is going to give all the way into eternity. That's as we hope for those things. Now, here's a little trick. I like this. Verse 22. Of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. So you got these people among you. And they don't believe in God and they're complainers and they create division. They're not under the Spirit's control. So what do you do with them? He says, well, some of them, you're going to love them in. Some people you're going to love into the kingdom. And you're going to befriend them and you're going to be kind to them. You're going to help give them what they need. And they're going to be convinced by that. And they're going to come into the kingdom. He says, some of the other ones, you could love on them all day. And they just, no, I ain't coming. So he says, light a fire under those. Get a fire going. Burn them, he says. He says, uh, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Right? He says, there's some people are only going to get the kind of message that's like, yeah, more burned to the crisp. People in front of the, t- the tabernacle, fire came out from God and burned them. You sure you want to what you're doing? See, God has made it so that we have different ways to talk to people. Some people respond to kindness. Some people wouldn't at all. Some people need some fear. Straighten out. And God says, and he says, here, use what you have you got both of those things you can do, and they work well, and you pull that person in. So in the things we do, and we're waiting for the future, keeping in God's love, God's light. Also, he says, remember, there are um, help others, call them in, invite them in, invite, and if you need fire, use it. 
And if love works, use that. Do what you can to pull. That's so. How are you gonna get yourself in a good way so you can handle these kind of things if they come in the attorney? Build yourself a big foundation on the truth. Pray in the Spirit. Suffer God. Stay in God's love by doing the things that hope in the future, and then invite people. Entice them, encourage them, twist their arm if that works. Whatever it takes, get them in and invite them to come in. And he said, that's how you're going to handle this issue. He said, those are the things God is going to stand behind. So, we got a problem. People coming in are kind of dangerous to the church. Okay, here's what you do. So, here it is. Uh, on one side, we got fear, condemnation. On the other side, you have your responsibilities. On the other side, he says, beware. Then he says, be prepared. So you, you need to beware, yes, but you need to be prepared. Remember, God will judge. On the other hand, God will reward. So when we prepared and we build a foundation, we pray like we should, God will reward us. And when he rewards us, you know, that's where we're headed. So we need those, this column here to keep ourselves on a positive frame of mind. You can't say, oh man, these people are going to come in and ruin. No, 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 no. Just going to keep building Keep praying. And when they come, we'll love them. And if that doesn't work, we'll twist their arm. And we'll figure out something to invite them in. Let them be a part. Take of it. So, say, wow, you kind of got responsibility. Yep. So how are you with responsibility? How are we all with responsibility? So, you need... One more thing. I need one more thing. Here it is. Verse 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. In the end, God comes in and says, I tell you what, <laughs> I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. And I'm going to keep you from stumbling and falling. I'm going to come to your aid when the road gets hard and difficult. I'm going to come to your aid and I'm going to keep you from stumbling. I'm going to get my arms around you, lift you up and support you. I'm going to keep you from falling down. Now, we just had some people in church fall on the ice, didn't we? And a couple of our older folks went down on the ice. Easy to go down, all right? As we all get a little older, it's a little easier to go down, right? It's easy in life going through life to fall. All right? God's I going to keep you from it. I'll be there with you. I'll support you. I'll keep you from falling. And then he says, we'll say, well, we didn't do too good. He says, I'll present you to God someday faultless. Wow. He's going to take you and you and you and you and you and say, here they are. 
They're clean as a whistle. No fault on them at all. How'd that happen? Jesus Christ made that happen. He died and paid for all of our sins. And he took all the blame for them. And he says, so uh, I'll pay for your sins so there isn't any on you so that someday... Here's Eric Olson. He kind of messed up along the way. But I pronounce him not guilty. Matter of fact, faultless. And on that day it says, with exceeding joy, he can tell you I'm going to be happy. <laughs> I'm going to be thrilled when he says, no, no charge. No charges. And I was thinking, yeah, but I can think of these things. No charges. They're forgiven. Well, that's a pretty good thing. That's a big help, isn't it? He's going to keep you from falling now and present you faultless on that day, and you're going to be so happy. And so we come to who? God, God only wise. One of the hymns in the book, Immortal, Invisible, God only wise. There's no one wise really outside of it. That's really it. He's the only one that's truly wise. And so he says, He comes, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Amen. There you go. That's how it is. God will keep you from falling. God will present you faultless. God will fill your heart with joy. After all, He's wise above all else. And He has power and dominion now and forever. Amen. That's handle death. He's going to do it. So, he doesn't leave us out here saying, well, let's see. Should I punish you? Did you take care of all your responsibilities? That's not God. That's a generosity such a forgiving nature in it. to say, huh. No fault. I didn't. You and me. No fault. Wow. So it's God in the end is going to make it up. We've got responsibilities and we'll do our best with those and sometimes we'll need a little help. God promises I'll give you the help. I'll get you there to the end and I'll receive you home and it'll be worth every bit of it. Well, there you go. Book of Jude. That was quite a, a contrast as he talks about the judgment of God, how serious it is, and then our response to it, and how we are to live our lives by building and praying and believing in the future and having hope and uh, fighting anybody we can. And keep yourself in the love of God by doing what I always do. The things that please him. So we finished the book of Jude. Finished these little books that nobody pays much attention to. I think they're worth it. I think it was a good study to learn about these little fellows who seem to have a lot to say. All right, next week we'll go on expanding on the Easter and Good Friday texts because there's so much we can't cover it all on Sunday morning. So we highlight Sunday morning. We step back and scoop out the good stuff on the sides uh, for the next couple weeks, leading us up to Easter. Thank you.